The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Have you consulted with your husband? Mr. Adams is not here. And the pox is rampant. Inoculation is not without risk. The distemper manifests itself differently in each person. You and your children may experience some fever and inflammation, perhaps a form of the disease itself. I am aware of the risks. Some cases have even resulted in death. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, February 18, 2021. I'm Bob Metz and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Well, at least back in the days of John Adams and the founding of the American Republic, informed consent regarding the risks involved in getting an inoculation was considered a moral imperative. Unfortunately, not so today. By the way, the mainstream media is harping on vaccines. You'd think there was some kind of pandemic or something going on. (laughs) It is simply unbelievable how every time I turn on a mainstream radio station or see a mainstream newspaper, it's pretty much wall-to-wall vaccine propaganda. Propaganda because what's being sold isn't even a vaccine, and it's not even for COVID-19. And there's no pandemic by any rational definition of the term. Actually, I think what we're seeing is more of a panic than a pandemic, really. Much of the haste in getting a vaccine out is to circumvent the coming awakening about the reality of the fact that these so-called vaccines are no such thing and may be a greater danger than we could ever have expected. And today I want you to hear some very qualified voices that are sending us dire warnings about these vaccines, reporting facts that are nowhere to be seen in the mainstream media. We'll get into some of the more startling details about this whole state-manufactured pandemic right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archived broadcasts. And of course, as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. So last week Friday, I'm driving in my car with the AM radio on, and I heard a news report that pretty much mirrored the cognitive dissonance that has been accompanying the whole COVID-19 hysteria from the beginning. Right after having reported the necessity of continued lockdowns due to COVID-19 case numbers going up, the news announcer reported that Get this, not one case of the flu has been reported so far this season. Then she refers to our local health care dictator, Chris Mackey, as saying that the zero flu numbers are evidence of how well wearing masks and social distancing have been working. <laughs> Unbelievable. Not only was that report contradictory on its face, but no one even asked the obvious. If the masking and social distancing work so well, how come they can't control the COVID numbers? 
And why do we need to have vaccines then? And of course, we pretty much know that the COVID cases, quote-unquote, being counted now include regular flu statistics and will include all the new invented and made-up new strains of flu viruses that they're already working hard trying to scare the public with. And just this past Saturday, our London Free Press front page headline read, Read ahead, don't let up on COVID. Avoid gathering inside. Heed rules as lockdown lifts Tuesday. And of course, the rest of the article is all about listing positive cases and all of the rules and regulations that must be obeyed, like the specific hours that restaurants can operate and how many people may congregate with each other at a single time. It's amazing how this virus is able to concur with all these rules. This is just unbelievable. The front page of the same paper's National Post section had a headline reading, Welcome to the Hotel of Last Resort, referring to what we've been calling these COVID concentration camps, and bearing a subheading, Amenities Few at Anonymous Government Facilities, written by Tyler Dawson on February 13th. And I quote, Two weeks ago came the announcement of a mandatory 72-hour hotel quarantine for all international travelers at their own expense. On Friday, it was revealed these government-approved, privately-operated hotels will come online on February 22nd. Yet more than 5,000 people have already been whisked off to government isolation facilities since the start of the pandemic. Operated by Public Health Canada, these last resort facilities for people who lacked proper COVID tests or a safe place to isolate for 14 days, are hardly what one would describe as a relaxing home away from home. The specific locations and many other details, from who's providing the food to whether smokers can step outside for a cigarette, have been kept secret by the government. Angelo Vanajas says he spent 14 days quarantined at one of the designated facilities in Calgary after returning from a visit with family in Mexico. He told the National Post he was whisked away from the Calgary airport to the facility in a vehicle with blacked-out windows. You can't see the driver or anything. Once you arrive at the facility, they start telling you the rules. You're not allowed to order Uber Eats or skip the dishes. You're not allowed to tell the location to even your own family, Vanuska said. End quote. And that's just the tip of his nightmare story. We've already heard similar scenarios on past broadcasts of this show, thanks to reports by Rebel Media. But 5,000 people already whisked off? Are, are you kidding me? This kind of stuff being done by our government is so unbelievably Hitlerian, it cannot be overstated. This kind of stuff is not about preventing or addressing any kind of viral spread. It is utterly insane to lock up and quarantine healthy people for no specific reason and without identifying yourself and putting them in vans and blacking out anything they can see. I mean, the people behind all of this are the enemies of all things moral and right. And these are the actions not of a country that cares about the welfare of its citizens, but of a country that is at war with us. A country like, say, oh, China maybe? who, by the way, owns many of these COVID camps in which Canadians are being imprisoned. And let's not forget, the propaganda campaign itself is a weapon because it also creates fear and terror. Vaccines are no cure for fascism. The mask wearing, social distancing, more forced vaccines, constant tracing, tracking, are all on the agenda following the vaccinations. In fact, it's the vaccinations themselves that demand the tracing and tracking and all the other nonsense. Because they're not vaccinations, but experimental therapies. The vaccine is not a vaccine. Moderna, as I said, calls its product generic therapy technology, and it is entirely experimental. 
These experimental technologies are synthetic gene therapies, not vaccines as defined by statute. And I, and I kept having, you know, to double check that word. Generic? Wait a minute, shouldn't that be genetic? No, the correct word is indeed generic, although it does involve genetic manipulation. But a generic therapy is not a specific one. That word makes it sound very generalized, doesn't it? And that explains why those injecting these generic technologies are saying that it won't do anything to prevent, slow, or eliminate any coronavirus. And it explains so many other inconsistencies, things that just don't make sense if we're talking about something that can genuinely be called a vaccine. Now back on December 16th, you might recall, we devoted a show to the whole vaccine and COVID-19 situation. Because missing from the whole pandemic discussion from the very beginning have been the voices of those who disagree with the official state narratives. And therefore, we never had a debate, we just had a conflict. And so dissenting voices of highly qualified doctors and healthcare professionals have been continually drowned out by the mainstream media, as many find themselves being outright censored or even fined and imprisoned for speaking out. And that should tell us something, shouldn't it? The current urgency that governments have created in their haste to administer COVID-19 vaccinations, I think, is in part a reaction to the groundswell of resistance from this most qualified and knowledgeable group of people on the topic of viruses, and in particular the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And we featured a lot of them on that December 16th show, show number 685. Check it out. Yes, we featured the voices of many independent doctors and healthcare professionals, all warning about the real dangers of taking an untried and untested generic technology. But now even their warning has been stepped up, especially since the predicted side effects of the vaccine are now beginning to show up in official statistics. Now there are doctors warning that the generic technology actually acts more like a bioweapon than it does a vaccine. Check out what Dr. Lee Merritt had to say to interview host Alex Newman in this discussion from January 30th, New American. Do you get the sense that medicine is being weaponized against our freedom and that this coronavirus is being used to trample our rights? Well, you're not alone. Uh, today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Dr. Lee Merritt, and she's got a, a bio that I, I could spend all half an hour on, on her bio. I'll just, to go through it real quick she started her medical career at age four doing house calls with her <laughs> father uh, she's a lifelong member of the alpha omega alpha honor medical society uh, she's the past president of the american association of physicians and surgeons which is a wonderful wonderful group of doctors uh, she's a former board member of the arizona medical association uh, and I, I, this bio is just incredible. Classically trained physician, got her medical degree from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry. Uh, she was an orthopedic spinal surgeon for 27 years, studied bioweapons, uh, did her internship at the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland in uh, internal medicine. And then she did uh, residency in orthopedic surgery at San Diego Naval Medical Center. She spent 10 years as a military surgeon. Uh, all over the place. She uh, she was awarded the Lewis Goldstein Fellowship in Spinal Surgery, the only woman to have ever uh, received that. And uh, just incredible bio. She's been a speaker at Doctors for Disaster Preparedness, a wonderful conference, uh, if you're not familiar with it. And she is uh, something of a free thinker. And uh, so, uh, Dr. Merritt, thank you so much for agreeing to be with us today. Well, thank you. 
Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on this this COVID and, and how it, it seems like it's just the perfect excuse to uh, take our rights, shut down our businesses, destroy our economy, uh, o- overrule our, our you know, personal bodily integrity. Now they're saying maybe we're going to have mandatory vaccines. Uh, what are your thoughts on this COVID? Is the virus, does it really justify the level of hysteria we've seen and the massive expansion of government power that we've seen? Well, the simple answer is no, it does not. And um, you know, when I gave my talk in August at the Doctors for Disaster Preparedness, the, name, the talk was SARS-CoV-2 and the Rise of Medical Technocracy. And my talk was on the weaponization of medicine. The problem is, by the time I actually was ready to give the talk, I had to change things so rapidly because they, they did it. They did kind of what I thought. You know, and I really do believe we're at war. We're, not, we're, we're in an unconventional, unrestricted war. The kind that the, the, the military Chinese generals talked about 30 years ago, and I'm not saying this is just coming from China, but, but that's the proximate military, militarization of this. You know, warfare has um, changed over time. You know, we started just hitting each other over with clubs. But in our lifetime, uh, what I call military, uh, you know, conflict 4.0, 4.0, was when we were fighting, say, ISIS or the ta- or or um, Al Qaeda, and you you knew maybe who the enemy was by the Geneva Convention. They appeared like a standing army. They had uniforms. They had training. They used you know group tactics and things. But what if you had a weapon that was so stealth that you, not only did you not know who the enemy was, you didn't even know you were being attacked. So it looked like nature. Okay, and that's really what we're in here, in my opinion, is that kind of scenario. So so I'm going to tell you, I, I believed early on in February that this was a biologically manipulated bioweapon because the minute that anybody popped up with data suggesting that, they were censored. You mm-hmm. know, the, the old military dictum that when you're catching flack, you're over the target. There's a host of evidence that shows coronavirus is a naturally occurring, very benign virus that doesn't even give most people the cold, but at the most it gives you a common cold, right? Doesn't kill you, doesn't make you very sick. But what they've done is it's the transmission device. So let's pick, let's make a missile and the missile is coronavirus, which is a huge, highly transmissible, very small particle virus. It can't be masked away no matter what the propaganda is. You can't hide from it behind a plastic little screen that costs businesses too much money. It's just incredibly transmissible, but it's very benign. Now add to that uh, the basically the warhead. So anyway, it first came out to Lombardy, it went to New York, that was probably first generation virus, and it did kill a bunch of people initially. But just like most viruses, almost all viruses that I know of, you know, as they pass through the human host, they get weaker. This is just a, you know, adaptive advantage. If you're the Napoleon of viruses and you want to take over the world, you don't want to kill every host you come across, you're not going to spread. So what you do is you become less less deadly, more transmissible. And that's what this has done over time. That's my belief about the big picture here. But the bottom line is, why don't they want you to know? Well, the, the, the $69 billion vaccine industry goes to zero. But even more than that, if we are at bio-warfare right now, as a part of this multi-dimensional warfare, if you have a treatment in your back pocket, they cannot terrorize you with viruses. And that's important because even if the, the way they've made this experimental, uh, it's really not a vaccine, but whatever this thing is you want to tell that they're calling this Pfizer vaccine, this Moderna vaccine, this RNA thing, it doesn't prevent transmission by their own admission, okay? And even if it did, it is created to act on the on the, the warhead part of this deal, the, the spike protein. So next year, 
these guys and these bioweapons, which one of the other things I learned, sadly, is that there are these bioweaponeers all over the country and that we literally have funded them. We've literally funded, think about this, we have funded a PLA virologist to come and work in our Army bioweapons lab. That is the height of insanity or treason. And the PLA so, is People's Liberation Army for the folks out there not familiar with right, the, the Chinese, that is communist China. Yep. Under the Obama administration, actually funding PLA Chinese communist virologists to work in our bioweapons lab. It's absolute insanity. Now they got the missile technology. They can put whatever they want on there. And every year you'd have to have a different vaccine. So don't think that even if you believe vaccine, this type of vaccine will work, which I don't. Even if you believe that, it's not a permanent solution. Viruses are all around us. They're part of nature. We lived with them for millennia. We'll live them for them. Hopefully, if we survive all this, we'll live another few millennia with them. But, you know, we have to have a solution that doesn't involve a, a vaccine of any kind. And that we have those solutions. We have treatment and we have prevention. So not only is hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine good for treatment, it's good for prevention. So if you look at the history of these vaccines, just real quickly, these are these are not these are experimental biologics. I don't even like to call them vaccines because tra classically the how vaccines work is this. You grow a bunch of the pathogens. So let's say it's measles. You grow the measles in the in a, in a vat or in eggs. And then you take a portion of that and you make it less strong. You, you attenuate it. You make it weaker. And there's different ways of doing that. And then you inject it into people and their own immune system sees that weakened pathogen and then they react to it just enough that it puts it in their immunologic memory. And then when they're exposed to it the next time, they memorize it and theoretically they can then better respond. That's what your real body does when it gets sick. You're, you're, you're just without all this vaccination stuff, you get sick with a, with a virus, you get perfect lifelong immunity for the most part. So how is this different? Well, they're not giving you a pathogen or a piece of a pathogen or a small piece with, a, with an adjuvant, which is a chemical that makes your immune system react more. What they're doing is programming mRNA, and mRNA is a little piece of it's 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 like DNA, but it's the messenger RNA. It's what it's what makes proteins in the body. It's kind of like a computer chip that you put into a, a 3D printer, and then it you tell it what you want it to make, and it prints it out. Right? That we have that in in engineering, and this is the biologic equivalent. I make a I make some mRNA, and it tells your body to produce certain things. Well. In this case, what they've done, they've made a, a piece of this mRNA to create in every cell of your body that spike protein, or at least part of it. And that spike protein, you're actually creating the pathogen in your body. The problem, and this is the problem, and I'll tell you what happened in the animal studies. There have been four different vaccines and three different animal studies that I know of in ferrets, in um uh, what's the other cats was cats have a natural thing with the coronavirus. So it's cats and ferrets and I think something else. So what happened is all the animals died. It wasn't subtle. Okay. But they didn't die of the vaccine. What they died from was called immune enhancement or antibody induced enhancement or antibody dependent enhancement. They call it ADE now, but it's, it's, it, they used to call it immune enhancement. Here's what happens. So they make the RNA. And so you're getting ready with this. They, you get the vaccine and you do fine. All right. Now you challenge the animal with the virus that you're supposed to be immunizing against. So when they charged, when they challenged those cats with 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 SARS, what happened is 
instead of instead of killing the virus or you know weakening, what they did is your your this stylized immuno response that they've ma- built into your system went out and coated the virus. So the virus came into the human or the cat's body like a Trojan horse, unseen by the cat's own immune system, and then it replicated without checking and killed the cat with overwhelming sepsis and cardiac failure. And that happened in the ferrets. That happened every time they've tried this. And so let me just point out, we have never made it through an animal study successfully for this type of virus. We have never done this in humans before. That's why we don't really have a track record of success. This vaccine was rolled out to distribution centers before they even made a show of caring about the FDA approving it. Do you realize that? I mean, it went out to for distribution. I know in Nebraska, it was in the distribution center within days before the FDA even said they were going to approve it. What? I mean, I've never seen that happen before. And the longest they've really followed people after the vaccine is two months. Well, you see, that's that's not enough time to know that we won't have that antibody enhancement problem. And I will make this military point. This is a perfect binary weapon. You, there's no way I know exactly what that mRNA is programmed to, and neither do you, and neither do most doctors. The doctors can't get at that data. That's the guys, the guys at the very top of this project, okay? They know, but we don't know. So if I were China and I wanted to take down our military, that's easy. I make something I could hook onto this coronavirus, like the spike protein or something else, another protein. And I just, I just make an mRNA to that, but I know it doesn't exist in nature, so nobody's going to die from the vaccine. And then two years later, I released the, the, the whatever it is that I made. You see what I'm saying? The counterpart. And it causes wow. this immune enhancement death. So it's a delayed death. That's what binary, binary poisons are. They're delayed. They're, I give you part one because, you know, I, and then I can walk away. And then you accidentally get in contact with part two and die. And you can't trace yeah, it. And, and, and that's not gone. a hypothetical threat. That's I, not we, a hypothetical there, there, there was a, a leak of members of the Communist Chinese Party out of Shanghai, and there was hundreds of them working in Pfizer and AstraZeneca and GlaxoSmithKline, the companies that were making these vaccines. That is absolutely terrifying. So we're going to uh, trust them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. In our, that they're acting in our best interest. Scary enough for you? Of course, the big question would be, well, if all this is true, then why are our own politicians and medical officials going along with and participating with an attack on their own nation? Well, we've been talking about it all along. It's a simple answer because they're all under the Great Reset and Agenda 21, which is all about destroying the nation. That's all part of the agenda. Here in Canada, Trudeau has been working directly with the Chinese military, for heaven's sakes. And Trudeau has gone on record as admiring China, not for its cultural heritage, but for its tyrannical rule. Such are the explicit values of the Prime Minister of Canada. He is no less the enemy than are the Chinese communists themselves. You know, I remember back in the 1960s and 70s, there was this meme going around on posters and cultural icons And it would ask the question, what if they gave a war and nobody came? Well, today I think that meme would read, what if they gave a war and nobody noticed? That was pretty much the point made by Dr. Merritt when she described the generic therapy technology as a perfect binary weapon. The binary, of course, referring to the second stage of the attack. The time span between the first jab and the delivery of the actual weapon makes it almost impossible to connect the two. Back in January, and this was weird, 
Dr. Simone Gold spoke on the whole COVID situation and made a haunting observation in asking why members of the U.S. military and people on the healthcare front lines were among the first slated to get the shots. And for the same reasons just described by Dr. Merritt, Dr. Gold saw these experimental therapies as a perfect weapon to use against a nation that one intended to destroy or defeat. And I found it significant that Dr. Merritt studied bioweapons and spent 10 years as a military surgeon because the kind of descriptions that she used to explain how the coronavirus works and the detailed processes involved are completely unlike the things that we hear frantically being promoted in the daily papers and other mainstream media. You know, personally, I'd love to see many of the doctors and healthcare specialists who have continually found themselves being censored or punished by regulatory bodies, I'd love to see them directly debate the official medical establishment in an open forum. But guess which side never goes for that? Quick answer, it's the side with the guns. Because when you had a gun, who needs justifications or reasons, right? And that's why they don't need to concern themselves with people like, say, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, who in the following February 12th discussion with Reinhard Senem of Truth Videos 1984 explains many of the technicalities at work that lead her to believe that these vaccines come with a great risk and also have a sinister purpose. Hello everyone, this is Renette Senem's Chew on This. We have an incredible guest, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Hi, Dr. Tenpenny, how are you? Good afternoon, I'm fine, thank you. Could you just give our viewers your background? I am an osteopathic medical doctor. I have been in the practice of medicine since 1985. Uh, my first career, I was board certified in emergency medicine and the director of a level two trauma center for 12 years. I moved to Cleveland in 1996 and I started an integrative medicine practice. And um, I got interested in problems associated with vaccines when I went to the National Vaccine Information Center meeting in Washington, D.C. in September of 2000. And when I came home from that meeting in, in Washington, D.C., I said, I should probably look into this. This seems like I, I sat through four days of listening to medical doctors and scientists and lawyers and parents of vaccine injured kids. And I went, how did this sector of my education elude me? Right. So I started looking at the CDC documents and that whole, and after I read the first one, the general recommendations of vaccination, the 1998 version of that, I went, this is it. I mean, this is what the entire industry is, is run off of this poorly written, bad science paper. Maybe I ought to read a little bit more. Well, that little bit more has been 20 years and well, well over 40, 40,000 hours worth of, of research and writing. And I've written two books and I've contributed chapters to other books. And I've written hundreds of articles that have been translated into, I don't know, 12 or 14 languages around the world. And so I'm kind of like the go-to girl on problems associated with vaccines. And with the COVID stuff that started back in March, I mean, I've got, you know, I've taken a deep dive into that, obviously. And I'm very passionate about letting people know what's in that these vaccines and why you must refuse no matter what, because these vaccines are deadly. They're not vaccinations. They're, we've never had anything like them. By definition, a vaccine is, is, is a molecule that's, injected into your body that generates an antibody. And this does that 
The problem is, is that the antibodies that it generates are going to be deadly, and it's going to take somewhere between four months and maybe 14 months before we see the full ravage of what's going to happen to people who are vaccinated with this vaccine. That's scary. That's scary. And it should be. We are at a critical juncture in time for all of humanity on a lot of different levels. Yes. No, this is, def- this is definitely, uh, we're at a crossroads. This is life and death. And, you know, I already have friends and loved ones I know who have received the vaccination. And we also have reports of doctors dying. We have reports here even locally at our local hospital. Uh, people getting the vaccination, and within, you know, 20, 40 minutes, they, they stroke out. The same thing in Sacramento. A doctor's stroked out. It's only the stroke. beginning. We've been, Look at how we've been doing these vaccinations in, the, in America for a month. And in 30 days, we have over 40,000 adverse events reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Database. I got the document dropped to me yesterday. It's 172 pages long. We have over 40,000 adverse events. We have over 3,100 cases of anaphylactic shock. We have over 5,000 neurological reactions, which can range from headaches to numbness and paresthesias, to headaches, to, to dizziness, to vertigo, to, to feeling like you can't feel your hands or your feet right. um, in 30 days. Now, and it's been estimated that less than 10% of adverse reactions that actually occur are reported to theirs. So if, it, so what's actually, so, can you think of one single product in any industry, oh. any industry, for as long as products have been made on the planet, that within 30 days we have 40,000 people complaining of side effects that not only is still on the market, but is full court press, and we've got paid actors telling us how great they are for getting their vaccine. And we're offering people $500 if they will just get, get their vaccine. You know, there is this MO of industry that if they can tell you, because they announced to us weeks ago, right? Don't be concerned. People are going to die and they're going to get maimed. Just expect that. And I'm like, you know, they have this methodology that if they know that if they can just tell you ahead of what they're going to do, uh, then they can do it. They have permission. And, And people are okay with this. Um, could you just talk about like what are in these uh, variety of vaccinations, what they are, what they can do, what they can't do, and what the dangers are? Can you speak to that? The main thing I want to say about the ingredients has two things about the Pfizer vaccine. Actually, three things that we have never, ever, ever seen in any other vaccine. Um, we have never, ever, ever used messenger RNA in any vaccine, ever. We have RNA vaccines the measles vaccine is an RNA virus. The polio virus is, a, is an RNA virus. But the difference is, is that in those vaccines, the, the virus is, in, is part of the vaccine wholly intact. So when your body generates an antibody, it's against the outer coating proteins of that virus. What we're doing with this new virus is we're taking a little piece of that virus's genetics, specifically associated with what's called the spike protein, and we're injecting that into the body, creating something called a non-neutralizing antibody, which in essence 
instead of taking that messenger RNA and gobbling it up and making it go away, like what happens when you get a measles vaccine and you get a measles and it gobbles it up and makes it go away, this non-neutralizing antibody actually it creates something called antibody-dependent enhancement. And they refer to that as ADE, like apple David elephant, ADE. And antibody-dependent um, enhancement actually allows that little piece of messenger RNA to start replicating on its own and, and go over and over and over again, creating these little pieces of virus spike proteins inside of our body for our body to create an antibody against. This is what Bill Gates has said, yes, human beings can become their own vaccine manufacturing machine because we interject this messenger RNA that gobble, that binds onto your reverse transcriptase enzymes and starts replicating itself over and over again, creating more antibodies against the spike protein. Now here's where it gets really, really interesting, Renette, is that that spike protein has been shown in two other very specific ways to cause injury. Number one is that when you create an, this, when you create an antibody to that spike protein, antibodies actually are designed, and when we write about them in the literature, there we design it. We make it look like a, the letter Y, the letter Y, and the t the two arms of the Y they call them FAB fragments, like Frank Appleberry FAB fragments, and the stem down here at the bottom, the part of part of the Y is the FAC fragment. These are the ones that grab hold of the virus and generally neutralize it. Yeah. When you look at the messenger RNA, it grabs hold of it, but kind of loosely binds it. And when this FAC fragment goes over and hooks onto the macrophage that is supposed to kill it, and it gets taken inside, that messenger RNA gets released. And that's where it starts to replicate over and over again. It's like having an on button, but no off button. And that whole thing, they, that whole mechanism I just described to you, they actually give it a name and they call it the Trojan horse mechanism oh. because it allows that virus and that piece of that, of that virus to get inside of your cells, start to replicate and even get inserted into other parts of your DNA as a Trojan horse. Now that's one of three mechanisms. The second mechanism is when you create this antibody, this non-neutralizing antibody to the messenger RNA, it actually, that, that stem, that FAC segment to that spike protein can actually go into your lungs and attach to the lung tissue and start developing what they call a diffuse alveolar damage, which is diffuse injury to the cells inside of your lungs where you breathe. Oh. It starts to break them down and destroy them. And what we and, and what those antibodies do is that they cause various degrees of pus and bleeding and damage to your lungs. So as you get this vaccine, the messenger RNA, you create this antibody. The antibody carries the, the thing inside of the cells through a Trojan horse mechanism. The antibody itself goes and starts to damage lungs. And the third and even more sinister thing is that spike protein antibody can attack your macrophages. Now there's two types of macrophages. There are type one and type two. Type one macrophages, now macrophages are a type of white blood cell 
that gobble up the, the bacteria and viruses in your system that aren't supposed to be there. They're your Th1 pathway, they're your hypervigilant white blood cells. So when we get bacteria in our body all day long, from eating, brushing teeth, go to the bathroom, having sex, cutting your fingers, those white blood cells just come along and they gobble things up and make them go away. When you get pneumonia or some sort of serious infection, the type one macrophages are pro-inflammatory and they show up at the infection and start creating cytokines and blowing whistles and bringing in all the things to try to kill off the infection. Very, very aggressive and very highly inflammatory, which is what you want. Mm -hmm. The type two macrophages are anti-inflammatory. So as you start to recover, the type two macrophages come in, tell the other guys to shut up, we're here to clean up the mess. So we clean up the dead debris of the tissue, the dead white blood cells and all these things. So the type two macrophages and the type one work in concert. Type one, kill off the infection and type two, heal it. When you've got this antibody to the spike protein, which is the full intent and purpose of these vaccines, that antibody kills your type two macrophages. It attaches the, to them and inactivates them. So in the experimental animals that actually died of, of lung inf infection and inflammation, when they sacrificed them, what they found was that all of these, uh, all of the, the lungs were filled up with all of these type one pro-inflammatory, highly cytokine types of macrophages and zero type two macrophages. What they did and they sacrificed the animals that had not been vaccinated but had been sick what they found that was in two days of getting sick without the infection, without the antibody, without the vaccine, the type two macrophages had come into the infection and started cleaning up the mess and started healing it as long as they didn't have the presence of a spike antibody. Wow. With the presence of the spike antibody, it killed them and didn't allow them to do their job. So those are three of probably seven mechanisms of how this vaccine is going to cause a problem because it's an on button without an off button. I mean, this is why you're saying people are going to start dying within a year, year and a half. It's just, it's just. And, and, what, with, with the, and it's really the, all of the mechanism, when you go back and look at all of the studies that go all the way back to 2002 of how they've tried to develop a coronavirus vaccine. Right. Is that. It, you get these antibodies. So you go and you get this antibody. It's not doing anything. It's floating around waiting for something to do. And then garden variety coronavirus shows up. And that's what activates the whole process. Mm -hmm. It's the re-exposure that mm -hmm. leads to the antibody dependent enhancement and all this accelerated autoimmune disease. There are 36 different coronaviruses in the environment, seven of them known to infect humans, and they've been around for 60 years. They're out there long before COVID ever showed up. So we're gonna get these antibodies, these non-binding antibodies, and it's gonna, a, a, a coronavirus is gonna show up and it's gonna start killing people. And so some people are going to die from the vaccine directly, but a, a large number of people are going to start to get horribly sick and get all kinds of autoimmune diseases 42 days to maybe a year out. And what are they going to do? These stupid doctors who say, good for you for getting that vaccine. What are they going to say? Oh, it must be a mutant. We need to give an extra dose of that vaccine right. because now the vaccine, we, instead of one dose we not, and two doses, we need three or four because the stupid physicians 
aren't taking the time to learn anything about it. If I can learn this sitting in my living room, reading a 19-page paper and several others, so can they. And the thing that's crazy now, too, is that here we have people thinking that they're going to go back to a normal life, right, if they just get the vaccination. And now they've already said, uh-uh, you still got to wear your mask. You still need to social distance. And they have not. They have said that we, we, we can't really say for sure that it's not going to continue to spread anyway. So, um, and we even had a nurse friend here, Sierra Nevada Memorial, who, you know, got vaccinated and a couple few days later got, got COVID and got sick. So can you speak to me about the fact that it's not, it, it, there's no proof of if it's going to stop the spread? Can you, can you speak to that? This goes back to what we were talking about with the antibodies. In fact, if anything, you know, we're starting to see these pop up here and they're like little popcorn things about these mutants. The one question they're not asking are the people who have been, you know, tested and found to have a mutant virus. Mm-hmm. Have you been vaccinated with the COVID vaccine? Mm-hmm. Nobody's asking that question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to, it's just turn the crank and make it worse, 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 yeah. worse, worse. Well, what we, we have seen this interesting is like, I, I barely go out these days. I pretty much in my home body. And when I do, it's highly limited, a few places. And, and I really don't wear my mask. And, and my small pod of friends and family, we're not mask wearers. And we're, we're not getting sick at all. Now, I have a lot of friends and family who are mask wearers and they have gotten sick with COVID. Well, the CDC's own data says that of the people that get sick, of the people who are getting sick, over 80% wear masks all the time or most of the time. Right. The people who are not getting sick don't wear a mask. That should be a dead giveaway. Because everything that they've contrived here is the opposite. If they say, if they say up, the real answer is down. If they say wear a mask, the real answer is don't wear a mask. If they say left, the real answer is right. Well, of course, the real answer is right all the time, isn't it? (laughs) And of course, you are listening to Just Right broadcasting around the world and online. Not exactly the most reassuring stuff that we're hearing from these doctors, is it? Who, by the way, are far from being alone among professionals in holding these viewpoints. For a year now, I've been listening to and watching literally hundreds of presentations by doctors and healthcare professionals from a wide variety of fields, and they all essentially say the same things and sound the same warnings. And they give very detailed and understandable reasons for their conclusions. Now that's the total opposite of anything we're hearing from official healthcare fascists. All we get from them are lockdowns, imprisonments, and a never-ending array of stupid, irrational, offensive, and life-destroying rules and restrictions with no reasonable explanations whatsoever. They're so stupid I can't even bring myself to to talk about them. You'd think the Three Stooges were running the show, but that would be an insult to three great artists. Now, of course, official dumb strategy is to make certain that as few people as possible ever hear the truth, and that when they do, to make sure that the truth is quote-unquote debunked in some official lying way. So my own personal best weapon to fight back against all this happens to be this show. And that's one of the reasons I've made it my mission to let you hear a sampling of the many voices that those at war with us do not want us to hear. No one in the business or in the politics of selling and forcing their so-called vaccines would ever want to hear a qualified doctor saying, quote, you must refuse no matter what because these vaccines are deadly, end quote. I get it. That's not really the greatest endorsement for your poison, is it? Think about it. Vaccinations. And this, this is official. 
vaccinations only going on for one month. In 30 days, they've already got 172-page documents listing all of the adverse events, 40,000 of them, 3,100 cases of anaphylactic shock, 5,000 neurological reactions. And they say less than 10% of, of adverse events are even reported. And think about it, these are actually official statistics of real injuries as opposed to official statistics of COVID cases which represent no injury or illness at all. 40,000 adverse events in 30 days represents 1,300 plus adverse events each and every day, seven days a week. Why aren't these stats being reported side by side with the mainstream media's daily counts of COVID cases? Do the math yourself. And this one's just a killer. <laughs> CDC's own data says that of the people getting sick, over 80% wear a mask most of the time. The people not getting sick don't wear masks. Well, how many times have I noted in the past that stories about COVID deaths that appear in the mainstream media that they're always trying to highlight always note that the person who died faithfully wore a mask, like that man in Windsor who recently got a lot of coverage in the papers. Apparently he had several pre-existing conditions, including a weak heart, and yet he still faithfully wore a mask to the day of his premature death. By COVID, of course. But never mind all this, politicians know better. Be sure to mask up and stay away from your fellow humans. And the World Health Organization has announced several times that lockdowns do not work in affecting viral spread. But never mind this. We'll have lockdowns forever, and we can have a whole bunch of pretty colors to represent each level of lockdown, making certain that there is no level on this scale that represents normal in any way. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> there is no back to normal. Between 4 and 14 months to see the full effects of this, says Dr. Tenpenny, as did Dr. Merritt earlier on, or longer, I suppose, depending upon circumstances relating to each victim and to when they get exposed to that stage too. And to me, this explains why we are already hearing warnings of a second and third wave of this imaginary pandemic, because most of that second and third wave will consist of quote-unquote cases caused by the experimental generic therapy technology binary weapons. And <laughs> they're already coming out with new names for all of these new strains of COVID, which isn't even a virus, but a disease and all being done to justify lockdowns already planned ahead for two to three years. Think about that. It also explains why we need COVID camps going well into the future because they'll want to get all of these injured and sick COVID patients out of the public sight as soon as possible. I think what we've seen so far was just a test run. I know this all sounds fantastic, but look at what already is going on. And this was fascinating, this observation about how this method of operation says that as long as they tell us ahead of time what they're going to do, then they can do it, that they have permission. You know, that's a phenomenon in and of itself, isn't it? Where, where have we heard that MO before? Stolen elections, anyone? The Democrats and all of their Chinese and crony allies told us from day one that they would steal the election at least a year in advance of that election, as we reported on this very show at that time. And they even announced their intentions, telling us that they themselves knew long in advance that Trump would win in a landslide. They told us that. 
They told us that by changing the rules and counting mail-in ballots for long past election day that they would overturn Trump's expected landslide victory. They told us all of this well in advance, and you know what? That's exactly what happened. So is that all it takes for thugs and criminals to get our permission to rob and kill us? It's sure beginning to look that way, isn't it? Again, in our own previous broadcast, going back to our earliest reports on COVID-19, we were being told openly and boldly that many people would suffer from adverse reactions after getting the experimental generic therapy. I mean, to expect extraordinary numbers of bad reactions. It is this reality that necessitates constant tracking and tracing because once you're on this generic therapy technology, you are hooked for life. There's no getting off that treadmill if you start taking that concoction that they are fraudulently calling a vaccine. Which brings us to the next unavoidable reality. People are completely deluding themselves if they think they can go back to a normal life after getting the vaccine. And yet this seems to be the primary reason they say they get the vaccine. But there's nothing normal about forever having to carry around identification and proof that you've had your latest vaccination and having to continue wearing destructive masks and practice demoralizing and humiliating social distancing. Again, they're telling this to our faces well in advance. But many simply are not listening or simply cannot hear the message. Coming up next is Dr. Andrew Wakefield in a February 13 conversation with Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. And keep in mind that what you're about to hear is but a short part of their conversation, which really centered on Dr. Wakefield's movie-making endeavors. His best-known movie is entitled Vaxxed, and it was, of course, roundly condemned and denied by the same basic interests that are now assaulting all of us. How he came to produce that movie, and others subsequently like it, it's a story worth its weight in gold, so be sure to check out the full interview if you're able to do so. But for now, I've limited Dr. Wakefield's comments to our direct subject at hand, the so-called COVID vaccine rollouts. I have an incredible guest today, and I would like to introduce you to Dr. Andrew Wakefield. And he is a brilliant and courageous scientist, a compassionate physician, beloved by his patients, and a champion for families with autism and vaccine injury. That is the truth about Dr. Wakefield. You will find a lot of information that will uh, see him trashed in many ways with a lot of false accusation. But when you decide to speak on the truth and to tell the truth, we all know there's a lot of lashback that comes our way. And so with that having been, been said, I would like to invite Dr. Wakefield to the show and thank you for giving us your time today and for investing in letting um, North America know the truth about this. And in fact, we have people from Australia and the UK that tune in. So welcome, Dr. Wakefield. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be with you. As, um, as a physician, uh, formerly, um, uh, have you kind of looked at the mRNA and the unique, they call it a vaccine, but by, it's my understanding that it doesn't really actually fit the lawful definition of a vaccine. Do you know much about it? Yes, I do. I've studied this and, and commented on it. I'm, firstly, let me say, I'm, I'm deeply alarmed. I see this as a Jurassic Park, if you like, that's just about to escape the island. Um, 
just to characterize vaccines per se, a vaccine is something, whether it is a part of a killed bacteria or a live virus that when injected, elicits an immune response itself. There are proteins from the bacteria or the virus in the injection that cause the immune system to switch on and to a greater or lesser extent produce immunity. This doesn't do that at all. A genetic engineering is a better term to describe what is being done now. They are giving Frankenstein pieces of genetic material, which are either a hybrid uh, of two different viruses that have never encountered each other in that way in nature, or the so-called messenger RNA of a virus that once injected into the body, gets into our cells and tells our cells, switches them on to produce the viral protein, something they've never done in history in this way. And so our cells are producing viral proteins to which we then mount an immune response. So we have a genetic engineering strategy that is leading indirectly to the induction of an immune response that may or may not be protective. It's a very, very different thing. And the problem is that what it has allowed is genetic engineering to come into human treatment and prevention under the guise of a vaccine. And the implications for the future of that are, are to me, most alarming. After all, if it's not going to stop you from potentially getting COVID-19, and if it's not going to stop you from spreading COVID-19, because that's what they're saying, and the Moderna and the Pfizer listed right on their website, I believe, it's Dr. David Martin that has put out some substantial information, like quoting them. And most people don't ask the tough questions to get to the bottom of it, of, of what it really is. Yes, and, and, the, and the huge problem with the situation in which we find ourselves is that there have been totally inadequate safety studies, both in terms of their size and their duration, and they should have been conducted in an animal model in the laboratory before ever getting into human beings, but they cut that out. The rush to market meant that they foreshortened the safety studies and have pushed these, va these vaccines out when very, very little is known about them. And the last experience they had in doing this with a, a vaccine for a coronavirus, the SARS vaccine, 10 or, or 12 years ago, was that in the experimental animal model in the laboratory, when they gave the vaccine, it appeared to be fine. It produced an immune response and it seemed to be safe. It didn't seem to produce an adverse reaction until those animals were then re-exposed to the natural virus. And when that happened, it was catastrophic. Many animals became sick, many died. The vaccine was abandoned. With that history, we've now cut animal studies out completely and gone straight into humans. That is madness. Or it's pure genius because the intent is not to cure, but to inject a bioweapon that will fulfill its function either in the short term or in the long term. I've lost track of the number of healthcare folks who have been attacked or prosecuted by big pharma in some way. 
for simply expressing an opinion at odds with Big Pharma. And one thing I've sadly concluded from all of this is that what we are calling Big Pharma, quote-unquote, is an institution corrupt to the core and responsible for an infinitely greater number of deaths than it can claim lives saved. It's an industry, not a profession. And please, this has nothing to do with proven effective medicines and treatments that are also in circulation, like hydroxychloroquine. But wait! Big Pharma doesn't want us to use effective treatments. It wants us to take experimental technologies and lock us down. The more I look into the history of vaccines, the more I am convinced that with the extraordinary exception of but one or two instances, the whole philosophy of vaccination is faulty to its core. And I've been collecting all kinds of other information completely outside the context of this conversation that is bringing me to this enlightenment. And meanwhile, back in La La Land, which has become our nightmare reality, the conversation in the mainstream media and among those poisoned by its lies and misinformation is all about getting the vaccine rolled out fast enough and wide enough to as many people as possible. Instead of a proper debate being about whether to vaccinate or not, and when it is proper to do so, which is never when you already have all kinds of other treatments for whatever the condition is, our politicians and death cult professionals are arguing about how far behind they are in distributing their great experiment. Canada slips to 38 in a world race to vaccinate. Embarrassing, but not surprising, Matt Gurney writes in the National Post of February 11th. That's embarrassing, all right, but not in the way he thinks. And one of the most disturbing recurring reports that I've been seeing in the mainstream media concerns stretching doses of the vaccine out because of so-called shortages. <laughs> They're talking about taking a specific amount of vaccine intended for, say, five people and stretching it out to six, thereby giving each person less than the supposedly required dose. And to make matters worse, they cannot count on getting the second doses in the required time and yet have gone on with the first doses nonetheless. All of a sudden, neither the dose nor the frequency seems to be important. How many vaccines do you know of that ever worked that way? This is being done so haphazardly that it seems like a complete scam. Whatever happened to the precautionary principle to which our politicians were so addicted when it came to the virus itself? It's pretty obvious to me that if any instance is called for the precautionary principle, it is in regard to choosing whether or not to get a vaccine. Is it absolutely necessary to save your life? No? Well then skip it. Informed consent is completely lacking in this rollout, and it seems that the reason for that is more sinister than we'd like to believe. They simply cannot provide us with proper information to consent to because they don't know what the hell they're doing or they don't want us to know what they are doing. We are at a critical junction in time for humanity on a lot of levels, says Dr. Tenpenny. This is madness, says Dr. Wakefield. It's the weaponization of medicine. We are at war, an unconventional, unrestricted war, the kind the military Chinese generals talked about 20 years ago, says Dr. Merritt. You know, it reminds me of a well-known saying. May you live in interesting times. Remarkably, many of those citing the quote are unaware that it originated as a Chinese curse. Try not to miss the show, because you're part of it. And try not to miss our next show by making sure that you join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right. And be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color.
color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Well, government just not stop just because the whole country's been destroyed. <laughs> I mean, annihilation's bad enough without anarchy to make things even worse. I mean, you'd have a lot of rebellious cinders. 